amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hello and welcome to episode 329 of the UK True Crime Podcast. I'm Adam. Thank you, as always, so much for joining me. Our story today, I'm afraid, is an utterly terrifying murder case from the south coast of England. I appreciate in the UK we're not very good with talking about death and planning our own deaths. But when you do think about it, I would suggest you have some fuzzy image of being in a peaceful place with those who love you the most around you. Not meeting death with two violent strangers in a desolate, isolated place surrounded by the sea and slowly succumbing to your injuries and hypothermia totally alone. This episode is brought to you from Gusto and after they kindly sent me an intro pack, I'm loving their food. Even as a vegan, there are plenty of options and most importantly, the food is delicious. Gusto gives you everything you need to create incredible home-cooked meals, including exact portions of fresh ingredients, which means that nothing is wasted. Vital in these tough financial times for all of us, and everything is there ready for you to cook. It means you don't have to spend ages rooting around your cupboards and fridge, you know what it's like, and this enables you to fit cooking amazing food into your busy schedule. Even better, Gusto deliver everything to your door on any day that suits you, and the recipe cards are super easy to follow. But most of all, the food from Gusto is always fresh, high quality ingredients, and with over 250 dishes to choose from, there is loads there that you are going to love. So why not try it today, especially when our friends at Gusto have a great offer for listeners to this podcast. Just head to Gusto, that's G-O-U-S-T-O dot co.uk and use the code TRUECRIME for 60% off your first box and 25% off all boxes for two months. So let's set some context for today's story with our guest the month and year game. Top of the UK music charts was the Reams tribute to the mighty Leeds United. Things can only get better. In the US, Mariah Carey was in the top spot with Hero. And in Australia, it was Mariah Carey again. She had the biggest selling album of the year with Music Box. And at number two or three were Brian Adams and Bon Jovi with their greatest hits. In the news this month in the US, there was shock as figure skating champion Nancy Kerrigan was attacked by rival Tonya Harding's bodyguard at the US Championships in Detroit, which Harding went on to win. Also in the US, those of us of a certain age recall very well the trial of Lorena Bobbitt, who cut off her husband's penis. The film Four Weddings and a Funeral, written by Richard Curtis, and starring Hugh Grant premiered. Are you a fan? I thankfully managed to avoid this film so far, although my wife only agreed to marry me on condition that I watch Love Actually every Christmas. It's been 11 long years. 
And finally, Sir Matt Busby, the legendary former Manchester United manager, died aged 84. So did you guess the month and year? It was January 1994. Today's story is centres on Keyhaven on the south coast of England. It's a small hamlet just south of Milton-on-Sea, midway between Lymington and Barton-on-Sea in Hampshire. It lies at one end of the shingle bank which juts out into the Solent known as Hurst Spit, which leads to Hurst Castle. It's a beautiful, stunning place, originally a strong commercial fishing base, but as that industry has declined, it's now better known for tourism, sailing and paddleboarding. The body of 43-year-old Grant Price was found on Friday the 28th of January 1994. Grant, who lived at nearby Leon Solent, was an accountant who worked for Southampton City Council. He was married with an 11-year-old daughter and a 9-year-old son. His wallet and personal papers were later found on a track in Cosham near Portsmouth. It had been six days since Grant was apparently abducted in the middle of a Saturday afternoon from a car park in nearby Gosport when he'd been out shopping with his nine-year-old son. At a press conference, the head of Hampshire CID, Detective Chief Superintendent Roger Hoddinott, asked for information from the public and added a warning. Asked if he believed the gang who killed Grant could strike again, he replied, yes. He confirmed that Grant's body had been found by a ferryman near Hurst Point and that his body had multiple stab wounds and he said that detectives were open-minded on where Grant was killed saying it was possible he'd been killed elsewhere and his body taken to the isolated spit by boat. He said it was believed that Grant had been dead for at least 28 hours but potentially significantly longer than this. The detective continued that Grant's son David was left stranded in a shopping centre when his dad was abducted in his own car by the men suspected of killing Grant. He asked for anyone who was in the vicinity of the car park at South Street Gosport on Saturday the 22nd of January when Grant was taken to contact them as they may hold vital information. He also asked for any sightings at banks in nearby Alton, Winchester and Portsmouth, where Grant's cash card was used, and also at the spit where his body was found. The fact that banks had been mentioned made reporters believe it was likely that Grant was abducted for financial reasons. When asked, the detective confirmed that his bank card was used on the Saturday by a young man, not Grant, at the NatWest Bank and the Trustee Savings Bank at Alton. Two successful attempts to draw money were made and three unsuccessful attempts. Later that afternoon, the card was also used in Winchester and in Portsmouth on the Sunday and the Monday. Now, had Grant been with the men at the time, presumably being held captive, or had he already been killed? Detective Hoddinott also made clear that he would like to speak to anyone who was around the area of another nearby car park the one at Osborne Road in Fairham, about seven miles north of Gosport towards the main motorway serving the area, the M27, where two hours before Grant was abducted, two men, potentially the same men, 
attempted to take the car of a student, John Wink. 20-year-old John wasn't having it, and for his troubles in fighting back, he was stabbed both in the leg and the hand. Following this incident, someone who called themselves Mr Harvey called an ambulance, but he had not been traced. Who was he, and did he hold vital information too? The two men who carried out the attack were described in the press conference. The first was thought to be about just 19 or 20, and he was wearing a light-coloured woolen hat with the rim turned back and a lumberjack-style shirt. The second man was of a similar age, maybe even younger, but this time with brown spiky hair, and he may have been wearing a red check shirt. What was for sure is that these men needed to be caught and they needed to be caught quickly. Behind the scenes, police officers were working flat out to find whoever had murdered Grant. One of the most difficult and heartbreaking parts of the investigation was speaking to the key witness, Grant's son David, to discover just what he knew. Nine-year-old David had of course been bewildered by what had happened to his dad, and he was found crying in the car park by a member of the public after the kidnappers had driven off with Grant. He was taken to a nearby police station where eventually officers were able to get the following account of what happened from him. David said that he and his dad had left their car in the car park near the bridge. After walking for a while, I told dad I'd left my glasses in the car. We were going to the opticians and he went back to get them. He left me at the car park entrance near some flats and I saw him go back to the car. I then saw Dad's car driving off with three people in it. There were two in the back and one in the front, but I couldn't see who was driving. And another witness had spotted Grant being driven away in his car from the car park and he commented, the front seat passenger in the car seemed as if he had the fear of God in him. After being bundled into the back of his own car, Grant was seemingly driven around the local area as his captors tried with varying degrees of success to steal his money. Once they had done this, Grant was gagged and placed in the boot of his car and driven for over 50 miles through the beautiful new forest to Keyhaven. Then he was subjected to a walk of something in the order of one and a half miles along the desolate shingle bank which marks the entrance of the western approaches to the Solent. He was led to the spot of his execution. When they arrived, he was told to get on his knees and stabbed in the back of the neck. He was stabbed twice more, in the angle of the neck and the jaw, then in his left cheek. He did not die immediately. He was left in a spot which is as desolate as you might expect to find on this coastline and eventually, maybe as long as 24 hours later, he died from a combination of shock, hypothermia and stab wounds. He was unable to raise the alarm as he was paralysed by the injuries he had sustained. Such a lonely and terrifying way for anyone to die. Grant Price was just 43 years old when he lost his life, leaving behind a wife and two young children. His body was recovered by a ferryman six days later. And whilst Grant was going through this terrible ordeal that Saturday afternoon and evening, the police were already looking for him 
but of course in such a remote area as Keyhaven, there was very little likelihood of him being found. But the men who had killed Grant made one big mistake, which led police to them. They dumped Grant's car near to one of their homes in the South Sea area of Portsmouth, and when house-to-house searches were carried out nearby, one police officer recognised 21-year-old unemployed Darren Jones from an artist impression produced from a description of a man seen at a cash point in Alton on the day that Grant was abducted. The detective was shocked at the resemblance, but gave nothing away, and later Jones's bedsit bedroom was bugged by the police. It was clear from the conversation they heard that Jones was who they'd been looking for, and that his pal, 21-year-old store manager Matthew Pierce of Portsmouth, was the second man they'd been seeking. There was no hint of remorse in their conversations together, and it was clear that other violent offences were being planned. This information picked up was enough to arrest Jones, who immediately admitted kidnapping Grant, but said that the other man involved had carried out the murder. Pierce was also arrested, and he too admitted kidnap, but he put the blame for murder firmly with his partner in crime, Darren Jones. He said their aim that day had been to steal a car, which Jones could use that evening for a petrol station robbery. It is easy sometimes to have a certain perception of some of the people in our stories, not often in a positive way. But Jones, he came from a decent home, a decent background, his mum's a magistrate. He'd no track record for crime. Pierce, on the other hand, did have previous convictions. One for causing death by dangerous driving, in a car taken without consent. And Jones had recently carried out a robbery at a Beyond Society with a firearm from which he made £900. He was unemployed and he lived by burglary and stealing of pushbikes. Pierce was, it seemed, quite an immature show-off. And when he was bugged by police, he couldn't stop himself boasting that he was a hitman. He was also just weeks away from joining the army and detectives wondered if he'd been motivated by money to clear all his debts before he joined the military service, which was a prerequisite of joining up. Darren Jones had also had aspirations to join the military, but he'd been unsuccessful in an attempt to join the Royal Marines. From the police interviews with both men, it appeared that robbery was the motive, but quite how this led to such a terrible murder was unclear. They both said they went to Fairham to steal a car. They'd no tools or keys and both denied knowing how to short an ignition system. One had an imitation pistol and the other a commando-style knife and each said the other had secretly taken cable clips with them, which is significant as these clips can be used to tie a victim's hands and feet. They said that after three hours of wandering the car parks, they attacked their first victim on the fourth floor of a multi-storey car park. This was student John Weeks we heard about earlier. They demanded his keys at gunpoint, but John refused three times. So Pierce stabbed him through the hand and thigh, and his accomplice Jones also joined in. But with attention being drawn to them in this busy car park, 
they ran off. The two men then headed to Gosport and again hung about car parks until about 3.15pm when they approached Grant Price, probably when he was opening the door of the car and they pushed him inside. After driving around for a while in a village near Petersfield, he was tied up and put in the boot. By now the two men had extracted from him the PIN number for his bank card. And at both Petersfield and Alton they made various attempts to get money from cash machines, extracting £100 twice, with £200 being the victim's daily limit. By the time they got to Winchester they discovered his balance was £1,530, but by now it seems that they decided that as Grant had seen them both, he should be killed. And Pierce knew of the access to her spit at Keyhaven as he was a keen fisherman. By 7.15pm the car was seen in the vicinity of Keyhaven and this is when Grant was attacked. During their trial at Winchester Crown Court, both Jones and Pierce admitted kidnapping Grant but as we hear so often on this podcast, by the time we get to trial, both blame the other for killing him. The trial heard the most dreadful evidence. Michael Hubbard QC for the prosecution said the accountant must have known that his long forced walk along the shingle bank was going to be as likely as not his last. He told the jury the manner of his death was as callously cruel and chilling and calculated as one can imagine. Jones said that he didn't know that Grant was going to be killed, saying he waited in the car while Pierce took him alone along the bank, returning to say he'd murdered him. But Pierce told a very different story. He said he thought Grant would be put in a boat as he and Grant followed Jones along the shingle bank. Once they reached the end, he told how Jones told Grant to get on his knees, enjoying the power he had over the clearly terrified man. When he was on his knees, he said he saw Jones stab him and then smile. I was terrified, Pierce told the jury. I'd just seen a man killed, a man I'd been talking to for a good period of that day, saying it was going to be okay. The jury found both men guilty of murder. The judge told them, the very concept of this murder horrifies all decent people. To kidnap a man, to leave a little boy standing there in the street, to cart him about the country, then that long walk up the beach chills the blood. How anyone could be so cruel and heartless as you, it's impossible to understand. The two men were also jailed for an extra 10 years for kidnapping Grant, which they admitted, and an extra five years for unlawfully wounding James Wink, the man whose car they tried to steal for abducting Grant. This was a charge both men denied. And Jones was also jailed for five years for the armed robbery of a Bilne Society we discussed earlier, and their sentences were consecutive. After the case, Detective Chief Inspector Nick Imber said, I believe their motive was robbery, but as it went along their fantasies took over. Individually, they are violent men in their own right, but put them together and they are a cocktail for disaster. Imagine two young blokes, macho men, physically geeing each other and they did fantasise an awful lot. They fantasised themselves as being good criminals 
or hotshots in the army, he said. The object of kidnapping Mr Price was robbery, but as it went on, their fantasies took over and he paid the ultimate sacrifice of their fantasy. So what do you make of what we've heard today? It's another shocking story, isn't it? Another unnecessary death. And in the end, it was all for just £200. £200! And all those lives ruined. And although I'm always uncomfortable using terms like evil, one of the detectives involved with this case as part of his extensive career said, in all my 30 years, I've never come across such evil. I think it's hard to disagree. So Pearson Jones reckoned they were just stealing a car to carry out a petrol station robbery later that evening. But we saw in their earlier attack on Jonathan Wink that they were prepared to use violence. I think the detective above was correct. And with all their macho posturing, events did just get out of control. But, and it's a big but, to actually go through with the execution on her spit with neither coming to their senses and changing their minds and realising what a horrendous idea it was is hard to comprehend, I think. Don't you? I'm unsure whether the two are still in prison, but I think on this occasion, let's hope so, and not outliving their lives near you and me enjoying the life events they took away from Grant and his friends and his family. But of course, what happened to them? None of this matters to the family and friends of Grant Price. Quite how they can live with the thought of how he must have felt in his final hours is impossible for us to understand. And the police were actively looking for him in those 24 hours or so before he actually died. I wonder if he was lying there, are those seriously injured? One, if he had hope, hope he was going to be found every light he saw on the water or on the land. Was this someone coming to find him and look for him? But of course, it was such a deserted spot, which is why it was chosen. And where he was murdered is the last place that anyone would look. So many ifs, so many if onlys, so many ruined lives. And for what? Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. To discuss this story and any other aspect of UK True Crime, please just pop along to the Facebook group. It's a lot of fun, loads of discussion, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, 365 days a year. Just search UK True Crime on Facebook. I think it's about 90,000 of us there now. It's a place where you can see my latest videos or you can go to YouTube. Just search UK True Crime Live and of course, please do subscribe. And to support the show, please join our community on Patreon. A huge thank you to the new members of this club. That's Dino Munn, Mido and Kathleen H. Thank you all so much for your support. If you join us on Patreon for as little as £1 a month, you can access over 50 bonus episodes and a ton of other exclusive content. And of course, you can cancel at any time. Just go to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash UK True Crime. Okay, so that's all for me for another week. So thank you again for joining me. 
the 37th most popular UK true crime podcast and the only host with the freedom of Rochdale. So on that bombshell, until we speak again on Tuesday, please do take it easy. And despite the others, despite all the others, please stay classy. Cheerio for now. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.